This is Ross Ritchie, and you're listening to the C-List Villains Podcast. Welcome again to another episode of the C-List Villains Podcast, your cultivators of the comic culture. I'm your host, AJ, and today I am joined with E-Man, Luke, and we have a special guest on the show. We have Ross Ritchie. Uh, Ross Ritchie is the founder and CEO of Boom Studios, which has won Diamond Comic Distributors Publisher of the Year nine times and published five New York Times bestsellers. He has won Eisner, Harvey, and Glad Awards. He's published the international superstar Keanu Reeves' Berserker, which has become the best-selling comic book of the past 26 years in comic shops and has produced the Denzel Washington and Mark Wahlberg movie, Two Guns, as well as the horror film, The Empty Man, based on Colin Bunn and Vanessa R. Del Rey's comic book. He is executive producing the, T- the Disney TV Plus TV show, Just Beyond, which is currently in production and based on the best-selling Boom graphic novel series from Goosebumps creator R.L. Stein. Let's give a warm round of applause for Mr. Ross Ritchie. Hey, yeah. hey, Ross, hey, thanks for being here. Thank you for it's having exciting. me. Thank you, sir. Thank you for coming on. I know that uh, you've got a very, very exciting weekend ahead. Um, something came out this weekend that I'm sure has made your company um, very happy. Some, something, right? Something happened this, yeah, this what week. Was that? What was that? What, what, what is this thing, Ross, that all of a sudden has put Boom on the map, right? Like it. <laughs> well, Boom, Boom's been on the map, but this took it to like an astronomical level. Six hundred thousand level. That's it. Well, it look, it is absolutely, um, you know, I'm completely gobsmacked. And um, I think the word gobsmacked was created for situations like this. I mean, I, we, we, are, we are sort of utterly blown away. And I, I would share with you and your audience that we might even be a little bit terrified of uh, the response, which is uh, we're only thankful for. And I think we feel a tremendous debt uh, to the fans uh, for, you know, and, the re- and our retail partners for ordering these books. And um, it's been incredible to watch and very exciting to get these reports uh, from folks about how the book's selling and how people are receiving it and see fans reacting to it online. And, you know, it's something we, we've we almost put four years into. So we've had the, this under wraps for a long time. Wow. Uh, oh, Keanu wow. and, and Matt Kent worked on that story uh, for a long, long, long time. We wanted Keanu, you know, is very creative, but he had never uh, created a comic book before. And we wanted him to have a lot of time to be able to be very comfortable uh, with uh, the process and not feel rushed. And, um, you know, I saw him on Wednesday and he said, uh, you know, can I have a little bit more time on number five? (laughs) So uh, he's, he's, he's well ahead, which is good. But at the same time, uh, now he's starting to uh, tease me like a freelancer wanting to extend his deadlines so and, and uh, with something like that you kind of have to say it's it's keanu like right? <laughs> <laughs> where where does an 800 pound gorilla sleep wherever it wants exactly. right, right. So, you know uh but look he he has been every, everything that you want keanu reeves to be he is even better uh gracious and kind 
and uh, delightful, uh, brilliant, insightful, uh, extremely well-read, uh, very literary in his approach, uh, deferential, excited to work with Matt Kent. And you know, one of the fun things about this, uh, if you're a process junkie or you're interested in how comics are made or if you like how comics uh, are, are written, you know, Keanu came in to pitch and I was in that first meeting with uh, Stephen Christie and Adam Yolen, uh, who work in our media division, our film division. And, um, you know, he got up physically. Uh, I was sitting on a couch and he, he got up in front of me and, and he, you know, sort of pushed his fist forward and he said, I just want to punch through dudes. Like, I just want to punch through a guy's head and I want to punch through a guy's chest and rip his spine out through the hole and then he spun the story and he spent about four hours explaining everything that you read in that first issue it's all in there and i can hear just the way you're describing it i can hear keanu reeves's voice to i just want to punch a dude yeah, right through the face yeah, <laughs> you, you nailed it yeah. and yeah. i just want to see his like brains explode i'm like oh my god yeah. this sounds just like keanu <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's exactly, I, I, you know, that you gave me a little tingle, it's like going back. <laughs> and, and the thing is, is and it, and it, it, it is like, what, what's interesting is the way that he created Berserker, a lot of it, you could see the physicality of the actor in him, where yeah. it was performing what it was, was a way to access the character concept. And the way that I've kind of been talking about it for the folks that haven't read it is, you know, John Wick is a very pretty, uh, elegant, you know, the, the um, what's it? it's the Continental, right? The hotel is called the Continental. The Extremely. Continental is a, yeah. you know, it's, it's a beautiful work of architecture and the protocol of saying yes, sir, and following the rules is extremely important. And sort of the, uh, the way that you treat the other assassins in the franchise is really important. And so it's a very structured, you know, the the, um, the the violence is ballet. You know, it's very much a almost yes. Jackie Chan, Jackie Chan, the way that Jackie Chan kind of thinks of himself as a dancer. Yes. You know, it's like that. And, um, and I think Berserker is the reaction, you know, it's all the things that he can't do in John Wick, which is bloody, dark, violent. I mean, it's not like John Wick's not violent or dark, but it's like gritty. You know, it's it's very much, he's a Frank Miller guy. He, you know, he's thrilled with Ron Garney. Ron's doing a lot of, you know, you, you can see the um, influences in Ron's work. Uh, Ron is a, a, a legend in and of himself, uh, but there's this great thick line work and this real sense of uh, volume. And this, you know, I, 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 when we were hanging out on Wednesday, I said, you know, this thing's a runaway freight train. The first issue is a runaway freight train. And, and Keanu started to giggle. And he was like, yeah, it is, you know? And yeah. and I think what Matt did was, I think another writer would have tried to kind of like take all of this energy that Keanu had and all this sort of like, like Keanu was, I mean, it, it's a little overwhelming to have this incredible movie star and be like, I want to punch people, you know, tear their spines out. You'd be like, whoa, 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 yeah, wait a <laughs> right like, let's take it back to step one and let's like let's start somewhere like who is he and what is he doing but i think the thing that's brilliant uh about kent is that kent said yeah 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 yeah. what else and keanu's very kind 
And what goes with that is you're very, when you're a kind person, you're very careful. And you sit there and you go, is this okay? And is that okay? And I don't know how this works. And he's very um, methodical. And so Keanu was very specific about, okay, well, I don't know how this works. Can you explain this to me? I mean, one of the things I've been doing this week is explaining distribution, comic book distribution to him. And he wants to know, how does comic book distribution work? And I mean, when I say thorough, he wants to know every single aspect of the process. And so he, you know, it's like Kent was able to create this like little world where he's saying to Keanu, more, more, yeah, what's next? Okay, cool, you wanna punch through guys. How many guys? A thousand, you know, and that, yeah. and <laughs> I literally think the, punched through a thousand in that first issue. Well, exactly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, and it was good because I think there were other writers that I think justifiably and understandably would have said, okay, well, let's, let's rein it back. Let's right. start on square one. And Kent was like, no, let's start on mile 1000 and then let's crank it up. Like, how do we get to Spinal Tap 11 all the time? And, um, and I think that's how you get that first issue, which is just nuts, you know? And I think it's so much fun. I think they did such a great job of conveying to the audience. I think what the spirit of that, this thing has always been, which is a, just a complete thrill ride. You know, like, right. let's, let's take this thing to the moon. You know, it is not, a, uh, it is not for the faint of heart. Now, um, I know that you just had stated that uh, he's working on issue five and it's a 12 issue storyline. When the thought process and going to, for the book to be a mini series, do you know the ending or does it, will it be, are there chances that it could change as, as the months go by and, and he's working on the book some more? So we're trying I, to get as much information from you about this book as possible, Ross, okay? <laughs> oh, I, that, that sounds like an interview to me. There isn't an interview that I've done where people haven't tried to pull things out of me. The, um, yeah, I know how it ends. Um, and it's it's been there from the beginning. It's been there okay. from that first meeting. And, gotcha. um, and, um, and so, you know, I that being said, I think what's important as a publisher is that you mm. need to be flexible. Mm -hmm. And as creative yes. people start to work on things, things are fluid and they change and they find uh, creative people find new solutions and see they encounter problems that you couldn't see at the beginning. And so you've got to be supportive of the creative process. And, you know, I also think it's my job when it's appropriate to say, you know, hey, wait a minute, I think we might be losing what we have all showed up here for. Right. So, you know, right. don't 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 forget about that. So but. You know, it's, it's, it's always, uh, I, you know, I really try to, um, let the editors do their thing. And, you know, I try to provide, you know, two or three things at the top level that are important things to hit and then get out of the way. Right. right. Let me, um, regarding that creative process there, Ross, how much of an act, how much of an influence did you have in the creative process of the book from beginning to to wherever Keanu is at right now? Well, a big part of my role is to kind of like, uh, I think architect the space. And what I mean by that is, you know, Keanu came in and you didn't know what he was gonna be pitching, but in that first four hours that we spent together, you know, we said, um, let's do, he, he, he didn't, Keanu didn't know 
he's like, here's all this story that I have. And how does that work? I understand screenplays. I don't know how many issues this is, how many issues should we do? And, mm. you know, I always kind of start in a four or five issue kind of framework and listening to it in that first four hours, I was like, look, this is six issues worth of story content. And then we did some more story workshopping with Keanu until we really felt like we had a good framework. And, you know, Stephen Christie, who's our head of our film, and then we brought in editor-in-chief Matt Gagnon and sort of the three of us were working with Keanu on it. And then we, we sort of uh, found Matt Kent and approached Matt and said, hey, this, this is, we think you'd be interested in this and we're gonna fly you out. We're gonna sit you down with Keanu and let's see if y'all get along. And the first thing that Matt did in that meeting is he, after he heard what Keanu had to say, is he said, you know, we need 12 issues. And um, it's funny because, you know, Matt is very, uh, <clears throat> I, I, I love and adore Matt and I think he's a genius. And he's also a little prankster-ish. <laughs> and it was like, I'm gonna put the publisher on the spot in front of the giant movie star. Yeah. <laughs> right? And we're gonna, see, <laughs> we're gonna see if the publisher blinks, right? And so he was like, no, we need 12. That's good, that is good. And I was like, okay, you want 12? You can do 12. And then and then the next thing that Ken said was, and we need a double-sized first issue. Oh, I was, like, uh... I was like, okay, let's go. So, so I, I think that is, um, you know, a lot of my role as a publisher is to try to create a framework, you know, and as the project's coming together, it was, you know, my, my understanding, it was Matt Gagnon's idea to bring in Matt Kent. Maybe it was Eric Harburn's, but I think it was Matt Gagnon's as I remember it. And, um, and I mm -hmm. think that, uh, you know, pairing, you know, as you're building a project, it's like, okay, well, who's Keanu working with? You know, Keanu working with Mark Wade on that project or Keanu working with Donny Cates on that project. Those are three different versions between Kent and Cates and Wade, and they don't look the same. Right. You know, one of the things you see today in that project that was pitched in the very first meeting was when Keanu got to the end, he said, and we'll get Raphael Grandpa to do the cover. So that, I think, we didn't spend a lot of time talking about Keanu's conversance with comics. And that was his way of saying, and I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And I am a real fan. Right. And, right. you know, you just, you just don't need, you know, what else do you got after, you know, Mesmo, Mesmo delivery? Um, it's it's a you know brilliant transcendent work and if you haven't read it um, from Raphael Grandpa go read it it's genius um, and then of course Raphael just worked with uh, Frank Miller on um, a Dark Knight Returns uh, one shot and so uh, it, it was you know it's 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 fun my my I'm the guardrails on a certain level you know and so mm -hmm. I'm trying to kind of put everything within a commercial framework and process it of Creators, a lot of times they want a wacky format, you know, they want it to be magazine size or they want it to be twice magazine size or they want to make a poster out of it or they want to make, you know, tell the story backwards or it should be a flip book or, you know, and my, my job is to kind of pay attention to the market and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, make sure that it's sort of is something that would be commercially received. Right. Or at least that's it, how I perceive my job. Right. <clears throat> and speaking of 
covers um good friend of the show john boy myers his cover was actually the one and one thousand it's a genius yes yes could you briefly explain the the the, the decision process of doing a one in one thousand and choosing the cover and having it signed like that was the extra oh extra yes bonus. yes remember <laughs> that that we, was we the saw, secret sauce we saw your instagram post of delivering this to the man himself and anybody who knows anything we already knew that you were going to hand those <laughs> directly to keanu so we need to hear this <laughs> uh okay well the minute that we announced that book my any social channels i had were crammed with people doing a not subtle job of thinking that they are hoodwinking me into getting Keanu's autograph. And so I love it. It was like, I love it. hey, <laughs> so you know, him. Can you, you see <laughs> Keanu, you know, so it was, um, you know, it was very clear to me. Yeah, that this was something that it wasn't just uh, exciting that there was a torrential amount of excitement about. And, um, you know, and, and, and the other element that I would put to it is it isn't just sort of an average fan who doesn't really understand uh, necessarily how things like that work or mm -hmm. how difficult it is to get that autograph. It was the most polished professional in the business wanted it too. And that was very... Yeah. Uh, informative to me you know I was like oh wow there's something about this that brings out everybody's inner child right that you suddenly are not you know sort of in your adult mind thinking about well this is obviously very difficult to get so um so that's when I started to think about you know okay how how do we address the autographs and then they just kept coming the requests and so I started to go you know, we kind of reached out to Keno and said, is this something that you would be amenable to? Because there's a lot of celebrities that are not interested in that. And I don't blame them. They're very right. busy. They got a lot going on. Yeah. And, um, and it's complicated and hard. It's harder and more complicated than you think. And sure. um, so then once he said, he's, he's been, uh, he's really given everything to this project. He's been, he's over delivered a thousand times. And he's put his heart and his soul into it. So he said, hey, you know, I'm good for X number. And then I started to get worried because we had so much demand for his autograph. So I was like, how do you gate this in a way that um, you don't offer it and then you're in a situation where you can only fill 20% of the orders? Right. Yeah, he's not he's not going to sign 600,000 copies for right, the next, right. <laughs> next right. two months. 10% yeah. of that is 60,000 copies. Yeah, I still don't yeah, think he would that, do that. Even that even <laughs> exactly. No. Let me I can tell you. No, he will not. Yeah. <laughs> so, so then you're like, okay, well, how do I get this threshold to a place where it's really hard to get? What what is the hardest threshold that I can conceptualize so that I can protect him from getting overrun? And uh, that's where I came up with the one in 1000, where I was like, you know, I guess there's a one in 1500, but that just, you start to sound like a supervillain, right? And I mean, I kind of thought one in 1000 was kind of supervillainy anyway. I guess I'm on the right podcast. 
<laughs> and you know, it, it, it's, you know, we immediately, you know, it was like 10 seconds after we announced it, you know, I was taking heat on Twitter uh, from fans that were like, that's us, I can't ever, why are, you know, and I was just like, oh, well, well, you know, like, look, here's the thing, man. I mean, I just can't fill this demand, Yeah. you know? And so I'm just doing the, you just do the best you can. You're just a person. You're just trying to make choices and get through it. And so, you know, the orders for that came in twice what I thought they would. Wow. And I mean, when I talked about what I thought the number was, people on staff looked at me like I was insane. You know, they were like, it's like, it's going to be half of that, Ross. It came in four times their number, twice mine. So it, it's a very rare book. I'm not going to, for the, for the people that are interested in how big the print runs are, it's going to be a very rare book. Um, but, you know, one in 1,000 is an expensive item. And mm -hmm. so really on another level, you're talking about what's the share of wallet that people have for Keanu's autograph. And let me just say that it has come in a lot higher than I expected it. You know, I, I, I wouldn't pay that for people's autograph, but I think that, you know, people are, you know, it, 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 people, the market has articulated what it is. And so anyway, we, we did that. And then I called up Bryce Carlson, who's our vice president of editorial and had the discussion with him. And he had John Boy's cover and loved it and knew instantly that this was the the cover to do it with and um when people eventually see what the autographs are you know one of the things that john boy did that's really cool is the way that it's colored it's tapered down and it's darker at the bottom and keanu went through a whole process of trying to figure out what was the best color he wanted to sign in the darkness at the bottom uh -huh. and what what's the best color and he and i had a conversation about i was pushing gold and he was like nope it's silver and they and he's right it looks it's staggering how great it looks. So good thing that I'm not an art director. So. It's really, it's a testament to you, Ross, because I think if this would have been put out in January of 2020, um, it would have been received differently. I think that your company has positioned itself so brilliantly in this last year that there was a hunger for it and that we received the Keanu SIG and I was talking with the shop owner in mid-January and he said, this was just released. Can you believe this at 2000? I said, if you're smart, you're going to order one. <laughs> I said, just, <laughs> just order it. Just don't even think it's Keanu. I mean, and you guys have really brought together something that there were no celebrity SIGs in 2020, right? Right. There was nothing. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. very true. I, I, hadn't, I hadn't thought of it from that perspective. I appreciate the kindness. Um, you know, I, I was just trying to figure out how to deliver something that people were wanting, but try to walk the balance between that and what Keanu was capable of. You know, I, 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 by the way, the punchline is, I think we got right up to the edge. Like I, I, I'm, I, <laughs> the, the guy who is handling, uh, the books, he was like, uh, you're really stressed out about this. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm really stressed out about it. I had a, I had a moment when I thought we were one short and I started to panic. Oh, <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's very precise, uh, trying to fill, fill this need, but you know, I, uh, to, to, to pivot back and I know that I'm going to kind of, well, I, I'll, I'll behave and, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, We'll make sure we've covered Berserker before we get back to COVID and, and uh, 2020. 
So, well, I mean, speaking of that, I mean, obviously, Berserker. <laughs> it, it, for the lack of a better word, this book was a boom. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> thank you. It, yeah, it, it is. Um, it, it's it, it's an amazing book. Um, and what's even more amazing, and speaking of last year, um, you guys had this 2020 run that was um, in. Just, I don't know if you even know this, but you guys were our publisher of the year for 2020. We had a C-list oh, villains. Thank you. Mm-hmm. thank you. We had a C-list villains award show, and you guys won the publisher of the year. Yeah, you guys thank won you. publisher of the year for 2020, and that's really saying a lot, especially with last year how COVID affected a lot of retailers. Um, could you? explain how you guys were able to maintain and even exceed expectations throughout uh, all of last year? Well, I think that, you know, when the, when we, we sent the team home a week before everybody else did because of um, what we saw coming. Mm-hmm. We saw um, my chief financial officer who handles sort of the accounting she has a background in biology, like she has a PhD. She's a doctor in biochemistry. Wow. Oh wow. And and when she's sitting there going, this is bad. This is really bad. Let me show you a bunch of really complicated scientific web pages that just are predicting how bad this is gonna be. Mm-hmm. We were like, oh, okay. So we all we we got together in the conference room, the senior leadership, and we're like, we need to send these people home. And so we went home and then the shutdown hit. And on the diamond shutdown front. And I mean, I, you know, it, it was horrifying. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it was definitely one of the most, uh, you know, sort of like biggest gut checks that you could ever have professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just your job, but there's a lot of people that get up in the morning that depend upon us to be able to pay their bills. Yeah. And there's, freelancers and their staff and we have no income coming in and so one of the things that I'm the most proud of is we did not lay anyone off and beyond not laying any staff off we didn't slow the creators down because I was really worried about hey if I'm drawing seven secrets and I'm counting on this money coming in and I have a wife and kids, and I don't know if Daniele has a wife and kids. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But, you know, it's like I'm a father and I have kids and I have a wife and, you know, I worry about that. And so I wanted to keep all that going forward and nobody knew how long the shutdown would be. And, you know, I was talking to Diamond Sunday before the Monday that they announced it. That Sunday mm-hmm. afternoon, I'll never forget, I was on the phone with the head of Jeppy Family Enterprises. And um, it's, uh, you know, is, is very difficult. And so you go through that and, you know, I was talking to Philip Sablik, who's our president of marketing and, and publishing and saying, you know, when we come through this and when it reopens, how does a retailer know that anybody will show back up to the store? And maybe people trickle back. And uh, certainly there's a lot of fear out there. And we need to make it such that these retailers are, you know, like they are facing tremendous uncertainty mm-hmm. and they're going to be careful 
and they're going to be conservative. You're not going to order a hundred copies. You're going to be scared that you're exposed and you're not going to know where the market is for four, eight, 12 weeks. And what if the market's changing? So we've got to be infinitely flexible and they are our partners. You know, we need to make them feel safe to order these books. And so Philip and I said, you know, we're going to make every book returnable. And prior to that, you know, Boom was the first publisher to to make, you know, DC would make a book here and there, like 52, you know, that that book, you know, 10, 15 years ago was returnable. And they would make some weekly books returnable and things. But we were the first people to make first issues returnable pretty much across everything we did. And then we made our entire line returnable during COVID so that retailers could know they can order the books and we'll take them back. Because my attitude was, you know, we got to get copies on shelves and we want the product there if fans come back. And if fans don't, retailers shouldn't be punished for supporting us. And fans came back and nobody saw that coming. Retailers didn't. Distributor definitely didn't. Publishers did not. Right. And Marvel stopped publishing. And one of the reasons that Marvel did, I haven't talked to anybody at Marvel, this is just my conjecture, but retailers were telling publishers to throttle back. And I think Marvel did a good job listening to them. And Marvel completely throttled back. DC took one month's worth of product and spread it out over two months. And I go to the shop every Wednesday and I try to do that to keep my... Uh, consumer hat on you know be a fan be a collector i went to the shop and i was like it's boring like i want to go to my shop i want to spend 50 bucks because i want to support the shop and i don't have anything to buy right right so yeah we need to put things out for them to buy and punchline was building and it was super clear you know the the the, the shutdown pushed the debut of punchline back and when yeah. I looked online, it, I could see that that just made it bigger. I was like, this is going to be even bigger when they finally do it. And we knew that we had Seven Secrets coming out, and we knew that we had We Only Find Them When They're Dead coming out. But what no one knew was that we had a James Tynan graphic novel in our pocket. We were going to put it out in November. And it was an original graphic novel that would not have been serialized as a comic book. And I thought, ding, 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 ding. This is it. We need to put this thing out as a single. And uh, people are excited about Punchline and there's not a lot of stuff in the shops. And Philip said to me, well, that's cool and everything, but you can't physically do that. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, there's this process where you have to submit the paperwork to Diamond and that's a month. And then they format it and they put it into the catalog and they go print the catalog and that's a month. And then the retailers have a month to collect orders. And then you've got to go to F final order cutoff, FOC. So like, it's like a 120 day process. Like there's no way that you can do that. And I said, well, what if we just don't do any of that? <laughs> I was like, let's just go to final order cutoff. And he said, he said that well that's insane and i said give give me i'll call diamond i'll talk him into it and diamond was great you know they they were all on board i expected a lot of resistance and they gave me none and i called up tynan and tynan loved it 
Tynan thought it was completely insane, which it was, but I've named my company Boom. What do you expect? So, you know, <laughs> was Tynan, there at least a, a, a picture for them to, for them to see what the book was about at all or? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, oh, okay. the graphic, it was done. So oh, we could okay. show everybody everything. Okay. And okay. so what we did was we had five days between the announcement of the book and the final orders. And what I was banking on was I'm a retailer and I've been doing final order cutoff every week and I, ha I have no Marvel product mm -hmm. and I have very little DC, much throttled back from where it was. What the hell am I gonna order? Oh, look at this thing. Because every single retailer was looking at their final order cutoff real close. So I knew that yeah. we had their attention. And what they did was they ordered that first issue better than they ordered Once in Future number one, better than they ordered Something is Killing the Children number one. And it became our best-selling original series. It was ordered better than Klaus, it was ordered better than Faithless. Um, yeah, it was mind-blowing. And then here comes Seven Secrets, and that book gets ordered better than Wind, and here comes We Only Find Them When They're Dead, and that book gets ordered better than um, uh, than Seven Secrets. And we just had this escalating uh, ascendancy on a sales basis uh, that was pretty incredible. So that I'm always thankful and grateful for. And, you know, that was nothing compared to where we ended up with Berserker. So it's been quite a roller coaster ride. Which, by the way, Seven Secrets, um, AJ over there, he pretty much pushed it upon all of us to start reading it. And when I yeah. finally was able to get Smart to man, it, AJ. I was like, oh my God, why wasn't I on here for number one? And then when yep. I, when I found, um, uh, yeah, I was, uh, I was, uh, so uh -huh, Ross, uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, to be honest, I don't think uh, when the shop that I went to at the time actually had it, or if they did, it was just very, very low uh, amount that they got. But I was able st still to get, you know, the number one and number two first prints, which I was really lucky for. And then when we found, uh, we only found, find them when they're dead. I mean, we were just getting more and more and more excited for Boom and what the, and, and all of a sudden it's like, what's, what's that? What's next, Ross? What's coming up next? You know? Just no pressure. No, pressure. no <laughs> so, pressure at all. So AJ's the one that got us all, all on. Thank you, on, AJ. On no problem. Seven Secrets. I, I want you to know that. Seven Good Secrets job. has become my favorite book. Um, I, I adore that book. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it's like, look, here's the thing is, all of these series blow me away. And, you know, I'm super proud. I mean, I'll tell you a secret, seven secrets. I'll tell you ah. one. Okay. <laughs> what's, uh, in what's, in, what's in the what's box? What's in the box? What's in the box? But uh, one of the things that's really interesting, is, you know, something is killing the children is bananas. Mm -hmm. Like it's just bananas, right? And it sort of has has become a thing that is, I mean, it that book deserves all of its success. It, it was, you can, but it, you it was a bit of a slow burn, it. right? Yeah. <laughs> well, yes and no. I mean, the thing is, is it, it, it from the beginning, it has been a you, you need to you need to look at it through this filter is the the first print of that book was over 30,000 copies. Oh, okay. And we have been through eight or nine on the first issue and we're close to 80,000. Wow. So it, it, it's sort of like, it was a huge hit in the beginning and was really special and something that everybody really reacted to. 
and it's just built and built and built and then the trade sales are nuts but the thing is is once a future is gigantic mm -hmm. like now once a future doesn't have cosplay for erica slaughter you know so it's it's interesting for me to look online and see how these series are finding their support and once a future is huge I love Once Huge in the series. I think yeah. I think I gave um, Karen Gillan my writer of the year last year. Karen Gillan's a genius, yeah. and and like we are. I mean, I I'm blown away by the lineup that we have. I I'm just I sit here and I just like, you know, I have a YouTube show, and I interviewed Kieran. Uh, I interviewed Tynan first. You know, these guys are my friends. I they're delightful people. I feel so lucky to be. And I can sit around for three hours and talk to Kieran Gillen. I mean, it's just the best thing in the world. But you know, then you go talk to Al Ewing and you're blown away by Al Ewing. I mean, Al's a genius and is maybe as big a comic book nerd as me. You know, God, watch out. If the two of us start talking about back issues, you're never gonna get a word in edgewise. <laughs> and then it's like, I get to go talk to Matt Kent, you know, and Matt Kent and I are almost the same age and almost all the things that influenced him influenced me. And it's like, we, we just did a, um, I just put up a hour of the three hours we spent together. And and I think we figured out we were at the same Chicago Comic-Con in the early nineties, just didn't know each other. Okay. I saw oh. that earlier today uh, while, okay. I was, while I was working, it was on in the background. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, oh, that's pretty nice. awesome that they might've been at the same con. And it's funny because you mentioned earlier how Matt Kent is a bit of a prankster, but listening to Matt, and how his demeanor is. He's very, yes. very yes. Uh, soft-spoken, very yes. chill. And then to hear that he was a prankster, that really, that, that's it. funny to me. I love well, that. He, you know, the thing is, is, is it's like, you know, he is, how, how do I say this? It's like, I think it's important when I talk to these guys to give them, you know, a lot of interviews are, the person doesn't really know who they're talking to. That, right. that, that are, are press. Like the podcast format is kind of different because it's designed to be a deep dive. But like a lot of, you know, I've been interviewed a million times by a million different women and it's just another assignment. And I don't mean to be rude, right? It's like, but they have not, they're sort of half paying attention and don't really, they kind of know what you do, you know? But it's like, I think my job part when I'm doing those YouTube interviews is like, I really know them. You know, and so there's another version of this, which is that it's my way to exist online because I could just say, instead of like getting Instagram direct messaged, hey, how do you write a comic book? I can just watch this, mm -hmm. right? And yes. it, it gives the answer. And the thing is, is like Matt, when you're bopping around and you're not doing a deep dive about his career, when you're bopping around, I mean, he's got a YouTube channel, you should go check it out. Like he just did a bad idea promo. And by the way, Dinesh, you're welcome that I just mentioned bad idea. And when we're in the middle of talking about the studios, uh, you can send me a check later. But, the, um, but you know, he just did this bad idea promo where he like had a, you know, a pipe and turned around and had a globe. And I mean, it was like something out of a Pee Wee Herman sketch, you know? Yeah. And so he just has a real uh, uh, sort of uh, whimsical sense of humor, which I find really entertaining. So it's just, you just don't necessarily see it in that interview because I'm I'm the intense guy that's like, no, 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 tell me about eight ball. Like what what is the creative influence of Chris Ware on your life? Like <laughs> I need to understand exactly which Fantagraphics comic you were reading at exactly that moment, so. 
you know, I, uh, what I always say on the, on the, on, on the YouTube thing is it's like being able to bring the fans to the dinner that I'm having at the convention that you typically don't have access to. Right. Yeah. And I mean, as fans, we, we want that. We want, we want to be the fly on the wall when creators are, are hanging out because we want to know what they're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I am you, you know, the thing about boom for me is I get the first ticket, right? Like I get to sit in the front row. It's like, I have front row tickets to who, who's your favorite performer. I got front row tickets to Jay-Z. I have front row tickets to Coldplay all in perpetuity. Perpet exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So in the VIP section, I don't have to wait in line. It's great. I get to read the comic first. You know, it's funny. I was just thinking about a couple of years ago, I was in San Diego comic-con and we went to uh, we were at the we at one of the hotels, and I see um, Joshua Williamson, um, Scott Snyder, and James Tynan all sitting together. And Those I guys wanted, are tight. yeah, I wanted to go like take a picture with them, but I'm like they're probably discussing like future DC stuff, and they don't yeah. want to be bothered. <laughs> and I was well, like, I well, bet you close to I, asking for a picture. I but bet you they were just mind. discussing what to drink later on that evening. That's really what the conversation <laughs> well, <maybe>. was. <laughs> here, here's the key in those situations. Ask, but be sensitive. Right? Right. And so the thing is, is you can tell if it's the wrong moment after you ask. Right, right. And then you can't be the outraged fan that's like, what? You're too big to take a picture with me? You know? If you're interrupting there, two of them are giving the other guy marriage advice, which yeah. happens, <laughs> right, right. Right. you know, and then you're like, Hey, can I, and they're like, yeah, bad time. And you're like, okay, sorry. You know, they don't mind that, but it's like, you know, on the flip side, if you go, Hey, can I, I mean, I think all three of those guys would have taken a picture with you, right, uh, yeah. but, but, but I think it's, you know, I, I, I think that's terrific. And I think that, you know, as long I would just counsel fans that you know, fan entitlement, you can't feel you're entitled. People are people, right? And mm -hmm. everybody's had a moment when, you know, they want to go to the bathroom and be left alone. You know, that's the story about Alan Moore. The reason he won't go to shows anymore is somebody asked him for his autograph while he was trying to pee. Oh. It's true, you know? Inappropriate you know? guy. Thank you for ruining it for the rest of us. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you about the Something's Killing the Children. And we were we're all reading it we're all fans of it the one thing i've always wanted to know is how how was tynan able to pitch you the title because it's a oh. very like i don't want to say divisive title but it's it is it's very it is in dark. your face it's yeah. very it's this is what's going to happen yeah you're talking to the guy that named his company boom <laughs> Like, did you consider your source, AJ? Like, I, well, I mean, it, even still, I'm like, wow, it, it, he, 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 he signed off on it. Because I did see that um, with Faithless, the polybag oh, covers, you don't I, even they, want to look at those. So Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, well, you just, you stole my story. Oh. So, yeah, I was going to respond with that. I, I love that. So for the people that don't know, you know, the... Um, I was I was walking around the boom offices and Bryce Carlson, the guy that put John Boy on the one in one thousand, came up to me and he said, I wanna do bagged blind variants with erotic covers. And when I say erotic boss, I mean erotic mm -hmm. on Faithless. And I I am very uh, careful about content. And so Bryce has thrown a lot of fastballs past me that I did not swing at. 
And so I stopped and I went, oh yeah, that's a really great idea. We should do that. I'm gonna worry about that tomorrow, but yes, okay. Then after we published Faithless, I went out to dinner with Brian Azzarello and I said, Brian, you know, I wanna tell you that I was pitched doing these erotic covers. And I said, yes. And then with the first issue, Tula Lotte is the one that painted uh, the first erotic cover. And they said, do you wanna see the cover before we send this off? And I said, no. And the staff was like, what? And I was like, yeah, if I look at that, I will not want to publish it. <laughs> it will make me uncomfortable that we we're putting that out. I was like, we need to make sure that every retailer can see it so that when they order, they know exactly what they're ordering. And if the retailer has all the information and are completely comfortable, then they can order that. But I don't want to trick a retailer or, or ship a retailer something that they're uncomfortable with. Some retailers are not going to order it because they don't like it. Mm -hmm. And I think they shouldn't. I, I want to support them. But uh, it's beyond my zone. Like, I'm not comfortable with it. Mm -hmm. And um, and so Azarello kind of cocks his head as it's sinking in. And he's like, have you ever looked at any of the erotic covers? I was like, no, never. <laughs> and he's like, you're telling me that you have published a series of comic books that you actively asked people to not show you. And I said, yes. And he said, that's the most insane thing that I have heard in decades from a comic book publisher. He's like, I can't believe he did that. I was like, I just don't want to like, I, you know, like I, I would have canceled those SKUs if you'd have showed them to me. And uh, so that, you know, the thing, when Something is Killing the Children was pitched, it was pitched, you know, James talks about this in the interview I had with him of like, James thought it was five issues and it would be done in one. It would be like five one shots. Mm -hmm. where basically something's going wrong in a town and Erica Slaughter would show up like High Plains Drifter, fix it and leave. And it was more of this experimental exploration. Right. And uh, it grew and grew and grew in the telling, but he came in and said, this is something is killing the children. And I knew from the title, you know, I was more worried that we wouldn't fulfill on the title, you know, because it's so attention grabbing. Yeah. And, I knew, I trusted James wasn't gonna put something in it based on that title that we would not wanna publish. You know, that's a, that's a way to that's a way to frame, to create a framework is I trust Brian and I trust James. And that when we hire them, they have a long track record of pushing the envelope, but not doing material that would make you ashamed. Oh, okay, gotcha. It's a quality. They're, they're, they're high quality creators. You know, they, they worry about the, the the content they want it to be exciting and they sometimes shocking but they don't want it to be uh you know hurt people uh they're not doing things just to try to look cool right well it's the mark of a it's the mark of a true leader ross to say it's out of my wheelhouse i you know what i mean you're the creator you know i'm gonna trust you to create create something quality and put it out and and i'll back it i'm paying for i'm writing the check but you do your thing and um i'm not gonna i'm not gonna try and change anything and look faithless that was a success children huge success i mean obviously that's probably the number one uh outside of the big two that that number one is selling for over 200 dollars. yeah just oh, for it's, one issue <laughs> it's bananas it's it, it's absolutely bananas and let me let me clarify like i think something that's unique about boom 
is that um, we want to partner with our publish with with our publishing partners. We want to partner with our creators, mm -hmm. and so we. I have a team of editorial, and the editors work hand in hand with the creators. And so uh, we are not sort of the folks that like you go do your book and you show up and you drop it off. That's not us. It's like, hey, what are you thinking about the first issue? Let's talk about it. Well, what if we did this? Okay, you don't like that? Okay, let's not do that. What if we did this? Oh, that's a good idea. Okay, then let's do that. It's like we did it with Berserker. You know, it's like we gave Keanu feedback. And, you know, the way that I look at it is the creator is the author and we are there to help. And I don't think there are some songs that are written that the first draft is brilliant. And then there are the majority of the songs are something that you toil on and you work and work and yeah. work and work and you make it better and make it better and make it better and make it better. And then you're finally at the point where you're like, this is good to go. And I think we create comics like that. We work on the marketing plans like that. We work on the publishing. You know, publishing, mm -hmm. I think, is like bagging this comic or how many variants are we going to do? And what's the strategy? Should this be the one in 25? It should be the one in 1000. You know, we think about that stuff and it isn't just sort of like, hey, whatever, you know, and it's not we don't take the attitude of like, you know, whatever you want to do, creator. It's like we have a discussion. We're partners. Mm -hmm. We're like, we don't want to force anybody to do anything that they don't want to do. But we bring ideas to the table and we will argue for them. We'll be like, no, 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 we think you should do this and here's why. Now, if you don't want to, we're not going to make you. Mm -hmm. But it's a bit of a different approach. We're not Marvel and DC where um, we own everything and editorial is telling you what to do. And we're not uh, a creator-owned publisher where it's like you just drop off your comic and we just put it out. You know, we're something different. And so that's something I have a lot of pride in. That attitude right there, Ross, is the reason why a lot of comic book shops love working with Boom. Mm -hmm. The comic book shop that I mentioned to you earlier told me that just the way your guys' processes with working with the shops, with that attitude, yes. they love it. They love working with you. So I, you. I have to thank you for keeping them happy because they're bringing me comic books that I like, which yeah. make me happy, which in turn, it's because of you, because then you're happy. Then we're no. all happy. That's what <laughs> I right. like, you know? I love <laughs> well, you know, you got to take care of, you know, comic shops are our partners. And so, you know, if we sell a $3.99 comic, the two major shareholders in how that gets paid out is the comic shop and boom. Diamond takes a cut for distribution, but they're our partners, you know? And at the end of the day, the audience is the fan. And so if you don't build something in a system that takes that into effect, you know, why would a retailer pay attention to you? Why would they wreck your product? Why would a fan care, you know? You got to put out something that is going to catch your eye and make you excited. So we have to tell you a story, usually a classic story in a new way. And then, you know, we've got to make it such that if you own a comic book shop, you look at that and you go, oh, that's cool. I want that. As opposed to, well, this is kind of solicited weird and it's not clear to me what the story is. And that's an mm -hmm. ugly cover. And, you know, the last time I bought one of these, it was sort of the idea was half there, you know. Mm -hmm. And so to me, it's like, if we all row in the same direction together, then we all win. So let's right. go do that. Yeah, you know, totally. Be a team. Now, sir, I know that uh, you, you're on a time crunch. It is two thirty. Um, do you have maybe just yeah, I have time. A couple, couple more minutes. Um, yep. 
I've just got three more questions for you, and then we'll move on to Eman's um, speed round. Questions. Yeah, speed round. Uh, my three questions: How did you come up with Boom? The name itself, ah. um, and then because you are around very a lot of creators, have you ever wanted to? I know that you wrote a book once. Oh. <laughs> um, have you ever wanted to write another book? And I also saw that. Um, you were originally an art major, so have you ever wanted to do your own variant cover yeah. for one of your titles? Okay, this is going to be pretty quick because none of these answers are going to be exciting. Okay. So uh, <laughs> I don't remember, like I remember being 23 or 24 working at Malibu Comics and thinking, well, if I want to do something creative on the side, I'm going to, the, the company that I thought of name was Boom Productions. Okay. And ultimately, when I made Boom in 2005, I used Boom Studios because I'm an 80s kid. And back when like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were published, like you look at Mirage Studios, and there was just a lot of, you know, Malibu Comics' original name was Malibu Graphics. It was like, it wasn't all comics, comics, comics. And so that's why it's studios, not something else. Um, but uh, why Boom? I couldn't tell you. I, other than like, why hasn't anybody ever named their company Boom? I mean, I can't believe that I'm the first person to add <laughs> to that. That's crazy. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So that maybe the smart answer to that would be why not, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then um, let's see. I I wrote a comic book with Keith Giffen called Dominion mm -hmm. for Image Comics back when Invincible was launching, and I did that because Keith talked me into it, and I told Keith I wasn't a writer. And Keith is a writer. And I made a deal with him that Keith could rewrite me when I sucked. And Keith would say, if I sucked. And I say, Keith, it's not if I'm going to suck, it's I'm going to suck. So rewrite me when I suck. And uh, Keith rewrote me and made it better. And so I have no desire to go back to writing. I was completely unconvinced that I was a writer and I unfortunately proved myself right. And uh, as an artist, I was originally an art major, uh, fine, fine art, painting and drawing. And um, I, I, the way that I kind of thought about it was, you know, I was able to attain distinction in my high school for my artwork. So when I go home for high school reunions, people are like, oh, are you still painting? And they finally remember my artwork. But when I got to the university level and I started to think about like, you need to succeed nationally. Mm -hmm. to be able to make a dent. And um, I just didn't see a future for myself with that. And so um, I, I didn't, that wasn't something that I felt a tremendous, I was going to pour my life's energy into. And so I don't have any desire to do uh, variants. I think that it would be a gross abuse of power. And um, everyone around me would be kind of like um, biting their tongue in pain because they're afraid to tell me, you know, hey, bro, hey, boss, you're making the wrong move here. <laughs> so, you know, to go back to what Luke was saying is like, you know, you got to know what you're good at and, and stick to what you're good at. I think that's a key life skill. And people in Boom are very used to me saying, stay in your lane. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm going to stay in my lane. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. And uh, I'm good yeah. at I'm good at one in one thousand autographs. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and brilliant. we can't wait for the next one, Ross. Okay, we can't wait for the next one. Well, okay, Ro Ross. There's three. There's three people in the United States celebrities that are as nice. It's Keanu Reeves, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, and Dave Grohl. 
So you got one of the three. Now you got to work on the rock. <laughs> nice, nice. I love it. Well, uh, I just watched that Foo Fighters documentary, so you you picked a good time to bring up Dave, Dave Grohl. I'll be right back. Sure, sure. Oh, okay, yeah, sure. So you ready for speed round, Eminem? Speed round, ready to go. So. Ross, this is the rapid fire portion, a rapid fire question portion of our interview. I'm going to ask 10 questions to, you know, let your audience, let our audience get to know Ross Ritchie outside of Boom Studios. Are you ready for this, Ross? Let's do it. All right. Number one, Texas barbecue or California cuisine? Oh, come on. It's Texas barbecue. How do you like your coffee? Black. Burning the midnight oil or early to bed, early to rise? Early to bed, early to rise. Favorite vacation destination? Ooh, um, that's a good question. Let's see. Um, any place that's not home. What's the best meal you've ever had? Oh, good Lord. That's tricky. Um, oh, wow. Um, I'll just say right now, Joe Beef in Montreal. Spurs or Lakers? <laughs> well, if I don't if 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 I don't say Spurs, they'll take my Texan card away. <laughs> Favorite junk food to get the creative juices flowing? Ice cream. Favorite collectible in your collection? Ice cream. Ooh, oh, wait a minute. We're talking about something besides ice cream. <laughs> um, I am an X Men kid. And sh uh, should a bear fight Berserker? Yes, no, should a bear fight should Berserker? A, oh, I thought uh, I thought you were going, should a bear fight Berserker? Berserker or the bear would win. Yes. Uh, should a bear fight Berserker? No, that's a terrible idea. And bonus question, what's your favorite upcoming Boom TV project? Ooh, tricky, tricky. So that's where I say we're in production on Just Beyond from R.L. Stein. And uh, that's going to be coming on Disney Plus. And so uh, I have the mind-blowing um, distinction of being able to call R.L. Stein Bob because that's how he prefers to be talked to. Nice. So uh, I met him at New York Comic Con. I can't remember if it was 2017 or 2018 and uh, inside the Boom booth. And... It was absolutely surreal and utterly mind-blowing. The guy sold 400 million yeah. books. 400 million <laughs> books! That's a um, lot of books. That's a legend. He's a legend. He's an utter legend. And I'll tell you, he's the kindest guy on the planet. He's the sweetest dude. And I uh, got to meet his wife. And, you know, he was extremely kind about the process at Boom. And it is... I, I remember the first time that I ever saw Goosebumps, and it's utterly mind-blowing that I'm producing a TV show from the creator of Goosebumps. So. Grow, growing up, almost every every kid in school yeah. had a Goosebumps yeah. book, so yeah. that's amazing that you're able to work with him on nuts. a book that you've probably seen everywhere growing up, which is great. Nuts. Absolutely nuts. Yeah. Only, only, only thoughts of gratitude and thankfulness. Well, that's it for fire, uh, rapid-fire questions right there, Ross. Thank you so much for playing. Well, thanks and for taking it easy on me. I was scared. <laughs> and we want to thank you again. I know you've got a busy schedule, so we want. Yes, thank you. Ron. All thank right, you for one, one on last question before you go. So yes. here I get to turn. I get to turn the camera around on you. Okay. Why is it? First of all, why is it C list? Why isn't it A list? And then second of all, why is it villains? 
Why isn't it heroes? Why isn't it A-list heroes? Uh, I can answer that. All right, AJ, <laughs> bring it. I, villains are always more fun to. It's always more fun to be a villain. Ooh, AJ, I'm. I don't know if I want to go to dinner with you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I want to be a fly on the wall at dinner with you. Yeah. And C-list, um, we. Our motto is we're cultivators of the comic culture. So uh, cultivators, comic, and culture. Culture, gotcha, gotcha. All right, then before I let you go, I, I'm going to do this the speed round, and I want AJ and Iman and Luke to tell me who are their favorite villains. Just one. Oh, okay. AJ, you're up first. See, um, favorite villain, just off the top of my head, yeah. Darth Maul. Darth Maul, nice. Well, I think I know what age you were when you saw Phantom Menace. All right, Luke, what you got? Magneto. I'm a Magneto guy. I am too. Growing up. I yeah. am too. I'm absolutely, that's the best superpower ever. So yeah, I love Magneto. You win with that one. Iman? Uh, can I say Richter from uh, uh, We Only Find Them When They're Dead? Because we need a boom <laughs> villain on Nicely here. played, sir. Nicely played. <laughs> Very political. I like it. I like it. Very I like cool. it. Political? I think he just poured his heart out, Luke. I love it. He's just telling it, he's just telling it like it is. All right. Now I will release you, fine gentlemen. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Seedless Villains Podcast, your cultivators of the comic culture. Make sure you follow us on Facebook and email us at seedlessvillains at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voicemail or text us at 209-975-7597. Be sure to join Luke Week's Facebook group, Rare Keys and First Appearance Comics. And you can follow us on our two Instagram accounts, Seedless Villains and Seedless Villains Podcast. Lastly, follow the villains on their separate IG accounts at Luke Weeks, at Seedless Villainous Red, at Seedless Eman, and I am at AJ the Comic Collector. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next episode.